What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Premier League podcast here on FanRag Sports. My name is Sebastian Norin. With me is Elliot Niblock. We're without Polly today, but he will be giving us a mobile take about Old Trafford, I believe, this time. And the family and friends section. So look, looking forward to that one. That's going to be towards the end of the show. But first and foremost, Elliot, where in the uh, U.S. are you right now? Oh, I'm, I'm in Chicago. I'm in Chicago. You are? Okay. Yep. But I'm, I'm headed up to my hometown of Wisconsin tomorrow. So don't worry. I'll be bouncing around for our next several shows between the Midwest and Mexico and then the East Coast. So I'll continue oh, my yeah. trend of being all over the place. Yeah, right now I'm the one who's away as I'm back in my native Sweden for a couple more days before heading back to Cincinnati. So uh, enjoying the last couple of days of snow and uh, just general miserable weather. (laughs) It's been absolutely a crap fest. Just a lot of snow or is it Yeah, I mean... The big thing is, since it's right by the ocean, it's windy as hell all the time. (laughs) And right now, it's just gray. It's very gray, and then a little bit of snow. So, uh, you know, it's not a big difference between Gothenburg and Cincinnati as far as the weather goes. I would just say that it's less windy in Cincinnati and a little bit more sun. Well, it's got to be, yeah, it's got to also be colder in Gothenburg in general for the winter, right? Or is it pretty comparable? Uh, it's pretty comparable. I would say that huh. Cincinnati has been worse because, I mean, we were down to, you know, single digits um, in Cincinnati. So it's actually, I, I don't think they've been having that bad here in Gothenburg. But yeah. anyway, enough about the weather. <laughs> Let's uh, jump into the football here, and we're going to start things off with Chelsea, who are down to fourth place now after suffering a 4-1 loss against Watford on Monday. And Chelsea, in poor, poor form, they got one, two losses in a row. I mean, three losses in their last four. And down to fourth place now, only one point above Spurs. Yeah, boy. And, I thought that Arsenal could collapse at Vicarage Road, but Chelsea really showed us how it's done. Yeah, that was very, very unlike Chelsea, and I, f- I feel like it's been... I don't know why, because last season they looked really good defensively. I, I thought that Antonio oh, Conte... They, oh, yeah, they were the best defensive team in the league. Yeah, set them up like really well. Yeah, Well, after, after they switched to a back three, anyway. Yeah, so but this season, it's been anything but. And then you have these constant rumors of Conte leaving in the summer. Uh, we all we saw stuff today on Sky Sports that they're going to stick with him for the remainder of the season, but most likely he's gone in the summer. <laughs> yeah, but does, does anything that the Chelsea ownership say hold any weight anymore? I mean, they could say that we're going to keep him to the end of the season today and that Abramovich can say, mm, no, and then fire him tomorrow. <laughs> That's true. I don't, I don't put any stock in that. You know, at least there's some, you know, I don't think we should put too much stock into the 4-1 to one loss to Watford. They did get 
Timmy Obakayoko sent off after half an hour. Two, yeah. two, two yellow cards within the span of like five minutes. Uh, so that surely doesn't help. But, you know, Hazard um, made a 1-1 in the 82nd minute. Tordini scored on a penalty in the first half. But then they allow three late goals. Yeah. I mean, that and, that's to me the thing that is so... I mean, I, I was saying before we hit record here, said that you know, I stopped watching after it was one nil, assuming that Chelsea was going to lose. But I only then I later saw the highlights, and I never thought that they were just going to, you know, collapse like a house of cards in a windy city. Yeah. So defeats. I mean, to Watford and Bournemouth. Well, but and here the other thing is that even, you know, if you're just looking at the scoreline and you point to the fact that well, Chelsea went down a man, and so that's why. It's like, no, they were, Watford were all over them, even before Bakayoko got sent off. Like, Chelsea were, they didn't look up for it, they looked half asleep, and Watford looked ready to pounce, and, you know, pounce they did. I mean, I think that, honestly, I think that if this game finished with Chelsea's full complement of 11, they still would have lost. Probably not as badly, but yeah. Watford looked the better team from the first whistle. Yeah, so now the uh, reports were that Conte is giving the team three days off ahead of their game against West Bromwich Albion. Whoa, that's yeah, interesting. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of time to give off. I mean, usually we see players get a day off, maybe two. But yeah, three three days of rest. And maybe that's what they need. They just need a reset. Conte has been talking about how he doesn't have a deep enough squad to really do some you know, heavy rotating. Well, so we'll yeah. see if... It's, We'll see if some time time off will help them. I mean, uh, they need something to help them, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. So, elsewhere in the table, Swansea is out of the relegation zone. Yeah, who would have thought? They are out of the relegation zone. They're on the same amount of pound, uh, points as Stoke and Huddersfield, 24 points. And then we got West Brom now in last place, 20 points. So, I... You know, we were talking before the season started that we could see maybe one, perhaps two of the newcomers stay up. We did say that we had some, you know, issues with the fact that Huddersfield were not scoring a ton of goals. And, I mean, I feel like that's what's doing them in right now. Can't really find it back in the net. Yeah, uh, they've scored, what, 20 have they even scored 20? But <laughs> I think that, I mean, the thing is that they're they're in a similar, similar straits as Swansea, except that the Swans have been, they're, they're sneaky insofar as they've been extremely consistent at home. They've just been predominantly abysmal on the road, and, which is especially why, you know, going into the King Power Stadium and getting a point is huge for them because they've, they've been, Terrible away from Wales, but you know they, they've they've been able to make their home ground a fortress. And if you can do that, you're always going to have a chance to stay up, even despite scoring less than twenty goals uh, <laughs> after twenty six games. Yeah, Swansea City nineteen goals. That's the same as Huddersfield. They have also scored only nineteen goals. That's the fewest in the league. That's how many goals that Manchester City has allowed. United have only allowed 18 goals. Jeez. So, yeah. And then, but I mean, hey, Burnley, 21 goals. 
scored, 23 allowed, and they're sitting in seventh place. So after a bad spell, they got two draws here in a row. So good for them. As it looks like it's going to be Burnley and Leicester fighting it out for that seventh place spot. Yeah, but then, I mean, you know, we talked about this uh, the last time the three of us were all together. Is that the the really interesting part of the table is not so much seven, eight, nine, ten, but twelve through. 17 because 12th place through 17th place all of those clubs have a legitimate chance of going down if they slip up because it's so tight for that relegation battle yeah west ham in 12th they have 27 points right now and then like we said huddersfield 19th place 24 yes three points separating 12th from 19th that's yeah it's remarkable um all of which of course are you know on the wrong side of zero for their goal difference. Yes. Oh, yeah. But it's interesting to see that we still have such a, you know, pretty cool race with so many teams involved. So, um, yeah, that's some good stuff. Other things to take from the weekend. Manchester City, Burnley, 1-1. Yeah, boy, that was a surprise. I mean, and, you know, the... uh, Players speaking afterward for Man City, they seem. I don't. I don't know. I. We've been talking. Not only us, the whole world, including Jose Mourinho, has been talking for a while as though City have already won the title, right? And they've they've certainly looked that way. I still I still think that they're going to do it, but. Um, the comments from some of the players afterwards from City, they seemed they seemed kind of fine with it. You know, they said we're well, we're happy with how we played. Like we got a draw, that's a little disappointing, but you know that's uh, it's the way it goes when you're playing away from home in the Premier League. And it's it's hard for me to say at this point, but you know, there's I, I think that there's a chance that we look back and say February if if they have a collapse on the order of I don't know say. Tottenham a couple years ago when they fell out of second. Um, We'll look back and say February 3rd was the turning point because those comments to me, you know, it's all played out on the pitch, obviously. And that's where we're going to have to see what that is an indicator of. Is that an indicator of a team that is supremely high on confidence and that supreme confidence will take them on to the trophy? Or is that an indicator of a team that's become complacent thinking that they've already got it and this could be the beginning of a big hiccup? I I don't think it's the latter, but, you know, honestly, the result itself, I thought, ah, okay, whatever. But then hearing their players say, ah, okay, whatever, I I don't know. You've got to be frustrated giving up a 1-0 lead, and if you're not frustrated by it, then uh, that... I would find that disconcerting if I was a city fan. I think they would have been more upset if it was at home. I think yeah, as course. long as as long as they win at home, they'll be happy to take a point on the road. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and you know, I was just speaking about how making your home ground a fortress is crucial to stay up, but at the other end of the table, it's also crucial to try to lift the trophy. Yeah, well, that's true. Manchester United they took a two nothing win over Huddersfield. Goals by Romelu Lukaku and Alexis Sanchez. Missed a penalty, but then uh, 
made it right anyways. Yeah, which was hilarious because I was playing against him in fantasy, and so the fact that he missed the penalty but then scored essentially canceled out all the points he got from scoring. So I was happy about that. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, he got negative points for missing the penalty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. I mean, big takeaway from there, sure, it's nice for Sanchez to get a goal, but I think it was more important that Lukaku got back to scoring. Yeah, I mean, he's... He's, he's been looking sluggish. Mm-hmm. Well, but he's... That's also kind of his... Just his style of play, you know? He could he could look yeah, slightly sluggish on the field and then also score you a boatload of goals. Yeah. He's I mean, not the I player to run in behind or anything, you know? I have noticed that he has those... I don't know what you would call him, neck. It almost looks like neck fat. <laughs> like it just, you know, when you get a double like a chin, double but chin it's all, yeah. yeah, but it's in on his neck, like on the back of his head. <laughs> I, Sam, I got to tell you, I have no idea what to call that. <laughs> yeah, I reverse double chin. That's what we're gonna call it. All right, but uh, so. Well, maybe yeah. he'll score a goal with his reverse double chin. That's still part of the body that you can well, legally score well, I'm from. Al- I'm almost <laughs> wondering if he wouldn't benefit of maybe losing a couple pounds. You know, I I can't speak to uh, Lukaku's personal fitness, but I do agree that he's looked sluggish for a while. But we'll see. You know, maybe maybe that was actually just emotional weight of him being in poor form, and it will disappear now that he's finally gotten on the score sheet. <laughs> that is true. Well, with that, we'll take our break here. When we get back, we'll get right back into things and take a little look at the FA Cup as well. So stick around. And we're back, uh, getting back to what happened over the weekend. Arsenal 5, Everton 1. So you, you wanted to talk about this one. And... and- <laughs> yeah, a hat trick from Aaron Ramsey. Yeah, his first career hat trick. In fact, never, never done it before. The little Welsh Jesus. That does not surprise me. Yeah, I mean, well, but the thing is that it it actually did surprise me because a couple of years ago, when he you know earned himself that nickname, he was in phenomenal scoring form. He just never did better than a brace, uh, yeah. and he hasn't been in scoring form for a while now, but. Uh, I mean, this, the thing is that this was in the same way that Watford were on top of Chelsea from the first whistle to the last. Arsenal were on top of Everton the whole game, you know. And the the only disconcerting thing to take away is probably the injury to Petr Cech. Um, also, speaking of scoring form, I think it's great that Aubameyang got on the score sheet. He was 100% offside. <laughs> but, you know, that. That's not going to matter for his confidence. You know, he, he still got to celebrate his first Arsenal goal. He finished beautifully. He should have been flagged for offside. The thing is that it was a decision that would be terribly controversial if Arsenal had won 2-1. But even if he hadn't scored that goal, it never would have made a lick of difference for, for Everton. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, like you said, very important getting off right off the bat there. That was the 4 nothing goal. So, I mean, this game was over after 19 minutes. It was 3 yep. nothing, 3 nothing Arsenal within 19 minutes. How shocked were you about that? Well, I, the thing is that I was, I was surprised, right? Like, I, I 
Well, to be fair, I also predicted this game assuming Obama Yang was not going to play because he had a fever, uh, which was probably foolish of me to think that he wasn't going to just play through that or also that they weren't going to just exaggerate that <laughs> to play a little gamesmanship. Um, I, I mean, I was, I was surprised but not shocked, Seb, because, you know, it's similar to the game that we had, what, against Palace where it was 4-1 within... Or it was a 4-1 final, and it was, you know, up by uh, three goals in a similar time frame. You know, that, yeah, but that was, hor- that was Crystal Pal- Palace at their worst. Yeah, but also Everton has bled goals as badly as Palace have this season. You know, yeah. not, not of late, like not since Big Sam trundled in, but <laughs> they're, st- they're still not exactly, you know, this is not Arsenal hitting five against the top side. This is not Arsenal hitting five against... Tottenham, which they will not do at Wembley this weekend. You know, I'll, well, I'll, I'll bet the farm on that. Um, but it's it's still an encouraging win. Of course it is. You know, it's yeah. uh, a different attacking dynamic than Arsenal has ever had with not only Mkhitaryan, but also Aubameyang. And, and I think that the, the dynamic there is key, right? It's, and that Aaron Ramsey's hat trick speaks to that. Because it's not just it's not just these new boys coming in and scoring goals. It's these new boys coming in and changing the attack moving forward, and other players who are long-standing Arsenal like Arsenal squad members coming through and benefiting from that. And you know, and from from a Gunner perspective, you can only hope to see other players also get grabbing goals who have not been doing so this season. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Ramsey, Shaka, that's not a bad, not a bad pairing. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm still not sold on Granite Shaka. He, he gives the ball away so cheaply, so often, and I don't think, personally, I would much prefer to see a Ramsey El Nenny or Ramsey Jack pairing in the center of midfield. Um, and I'm also what I'm also intrigued to see moving forward. Now this is you know, cart before the horse and all that is I want to see Arsenal play in the good old four four two. I don't think we're going to see it this season, and maybe we actually shouldn't see it this season because you know after offloading so many attacking players and Walcott, Giroud, we don't have the squad depth to play two forwards at once. We we just don't. But I think that if Arsenal you know, are active in the summer window as well. The, a a two-striker pairing of Aubameyang and Lacazette could be exactly what Lacazette needs to kind of find his feet in the Premier League, which he really has not done so heretofore. I mean, it would be super deadly if you can find, you know, a Mesut in very good form to thread the needle. Well, I mean, that's I mean, exactly what I'm thinking, is that Mesut yeah. and Mkhitaryan playing... On the flanks, and then uh, center of midfield. If you can find a partnership that works both moving forward, but also in defense between El Nenny and Jack, El Nenny and uh, Ramsey, because I think El Nenny is a more defensive player than either of them. Then you know, if you have two forwards who are both goal poachers with pace, boy, yeah, that that could be a, a championship formula. Or maybe Lacazette's just also not up to it in the Premier League and we'll end up selling him in a year and a half. <laughs> we'll see. 
Well, yeah, I think it's a little bit early to. Uh, oh yeah. And the thing that drives just, me crazy about the best. The thing that drives me crazy about Lacazette though is that in the beginning of the season he was making these darting runs in behind and nobody was picking him out. And at this point he just kind of looks jaded and he's he's not making those runs because for months nobody was finding him. And I think that the arrival of Aubameyang, hope hopefully that will you know that will spark him back to life. Whether it's motivation or whether it's just. Uh, the changing dynamic, or whether it's that Mikatarian actually sees him making those runs and picks him up once in a while. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that, that's the thing too that with a bombing Yang, you're going to have to adjust your play a little, and then hopefully they will keep playing that way, even though it's like a set instead of a bombing Yang. Yeah, well, and exactly. And you hit the nail on the head, Seb, because that's what I was speaking about in terms of you know the dynamic changing and benefiting other players. And it's not just other players in the middle of the park who I hope to score goals. It's also other forwards who I hope can find form. Yep. Okay, before we get to the FA Cup, we'll round the Premier League side of things off with that Liverpool-Spurs game, a 2-2 draw, and some late, late action in that one. We got two goals in stoppage time. Mohamed Salah scored in the 91st minute, and then Harry Kane tied things up on a penalty in the 95th minute. Yeah, it was uh, it was a Mike Dean level of terrible officiating performance, I thought. Um, but you know, that's that's just me. <laughs> and like, and the other thing is that you know, I'm. I think that we all wear our allegiances on our sleeves in this podcast, and that's how it should be, right? But from an Arsenal perspective, both of them dropping points was a good thing. So, like, actually, because I I think that Liverpool are far more inconsistent defensively than Tottenham, so I actually think that Arsenal have a better chance of catching Liverpool than Spurs this season. So the fact that they got a point at the end, it didn't really bother me from... Uh, you know, biased fandom perspective, it just bothered me from a neutral, the referee made a mess of this match perspective. I mean, what did, what did yeah. you make of it? No, I mean, that's true. And I, I totally agree with you from a United perspective. I was like, sweet. They had, you know, one point each. That's perfect. Cause you don't want Liverpool just three points behind. Cause I have zero faith in United actually, you know, keeping a sort of a steady pace here. I'm I'm hoping that they can still end up second. I think that's the best you can hope for. Because City, they they've won. That's it's over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's totally over. I I don't know, man. I I don't. I think that you're right. But those those comments after the draw at Turf Moor, again, like we'll we'll see it play out. More likely than not, it's the supreme confidence that will carry them to the title. I don't think a Pep Guardiola side is going to have that be reflecting complacency, but we'll see. No, but even if they only win like half of their game, remaining <laughs> games, they'll still be fine. That's true. Oh, God. That's true. So, I mean, uh, they've been so, they've been so good this season. They've only lost once. I mean, that's, they're still on pace to have a really, really good season. Yeah. So, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> okay, let's get over to the FA Cup. Uh, got a couple of games here. 
on Tuesday. Birmingham taking on Huddersfield. Rochdale taking on Millwall. And then Swansea against Knotts County. Yeah, so. I mean, the, the fine, whatever. The, the Swans-Knotts matchup is slightly interesting. Everybody's really excited to see Newport County come to Wembley tomorrow. Yes, <laughs> that is the big one. That's the Spurs, big one. Spurs against Newport County. Uh, and, you know, Seb, you were in our last show, Paulie and I were talking about this, that you, you know 100% Newport County fans today are, like, getting their banners ready. Of, we made it to Wembley in the FA Cup. Yes. <laughs> and as well they should. Yeah. Oh, it's fun. And, you know, this is the replay of the fourth round. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's interesting to see. Right now, though, one thing that I was – Sort of pleasantly surprised by top score right now. Will Grigg, six goals. Huh. He is on fire. <laughs> hey, oh. Uh, look out, Harry Kane. He's going to be yep. the new Olivier Giroud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll see what happens here. I don't exactly know what games are on TV in the U.S. right now. Um, yeah, I couldn't tell you. If I'm- any. I'm going to be on the road over the course of the the afternoon FA Cup matches, so I won't see any of them, but I'm definitely going to watch the Tottenham-Newport game tomorrow. Yeah, that will be a very funny game. They, I, I truly hope that they hold out. Yeah, I do too. And the thing is that, honestly, this is, and this is, again, speaking of our biases, this is not just me trying to take a dig at Tottenham, but... The fact that their home ground for the season is Wembley, I think that that could hugely benefit Newport County, right? Like you're you're going in to a big away game, except that it's going to feel, even though more Spurs fans will be there, the Newport fans will be in full voice and you're going to Wembley. You're still going to Wembley. And that, I mean, that could benefit them. But granted, you know, just in terms of the class of players on the pitch, Tottenham should wipe the floor with them at home. But that at home has an asterisk for them this season. So we'll see. It, I, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens. Yeah, and just the, just the fact that they get, like you said, they get to play at Wem- Wembley. And, you know, I like that FA Cup magic. We still want that charm of a smaller side going up against one of the big ones and Spurs are definitely one of the big ones yeah. and then see if they can make some gold. Yeah. So. I mean, it was five years ago, the last time that uh, Newport County came to Wembley. Um, and that was, you know, for a, a, a playoff final and <laughs> not exactly the same prestige as the premier league. No, not at all. Okay, with that, we'll leave you with Paulie's mobile take. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm Seb Norin. Paulie's P. Quistel. And Elliot is Keats Was Better. Give FanRick Sports a follow as well, and we'll talk to you again later in the week. It will probably just be Paulie and Elliot, as I will be on a plane. <laughs> so uh, I'll talk to you guys again next week. Until then, have a good one. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paulie coming to you back from New York where the sirens are and the horns are blasting after uh, the nice trip to England highlighted by uh, what was probably the best moment of my 
fandom as a soccer fan, my trip to Old Trafford on Saturday, where um, I sat in the friends and family section of Old Trafford, which, uh, to give you just a context of where that is, that's the section right off to the left of the tunnel. So when United score on the Stratford end and you see the players running, running off to the left every time, they're doing that because that's where their friends are. They actually know the people that are in that section. Also, the odd part about that, um, it's the one section where nobody speaks English, which I guess makes sense considering that you know most of the team is not English players. And when you give tickets to your family or people from your home country or anything, you end up with a, a lot of people that don't speak English in that section. But this was the most incredible experience of my life. At one point, I texted my friend. I said, I said, please bury me here when I die. It is cold. It is wet. It is rainy. It is miserable here. And it is quite possibly the greatest place on earth. That is Old Trafford for you. It is... Uh, I went to lunch with one of my friends the day before I went. And he, he is in an, a season ticket holder for Arsenal. And he said to me, he said, old, the thing about Old Trafford is it's the one stadium I've ever been to. When, when you walk in and see the pitch, you truly just look around and say, wow, this place is absolutely massive. And that is true. And, you know, if you live in America, I guarantee you've been to an NFL stadium or a college football stadium that is bigger than Old Trafford, which only seats 75,000, you know, the uh, stadium in the Giants and the Jets over here in New York, that seats over 80,000. Old Trafford feels so much bigger. Um, ironically, Jose Mourinho's in the news this week for saying that the atmosphere sucks. And look, I'm not going to lie. I agree with him. I also disagree with him. I thought at times the atmosphere is incredible. And then at times there's a very big, uh, a lot of people are just here watching a show at the theater type of vibe. You know, I think it's a little weird because you have the Stratford end, which is all the fans and they're singing the other fans that but like down the touch lines is very silent. And then in the far corner opposite uh, where the away fans are, there's like another fan section where they're singing and everything. But it's very hard to rally the whole stadium. And I think that is something that lacks from Old Trafford. At times, the entire stadium would rally and they would sing together. And it was incredible when that happened. But it was few and far between. And there were times where songs would start in one end, but at the same time, a different song would start at the other end and they would never mix and nothing ever got going. So I, I do understand what Jose Mourinho was saying about that. I do understand all the fans' criticism where they say um, Old Trafford, the atmosphere, the game day atmosphere kind of sucks there. I understand it completely. But at the same time, it was still awesome. It was still incredible. Uh, Jose Mourinho did say, he said, well, the players like to play at home. I understand that. It's truly one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had. And what's even crazier is Manchester United right now, without a doubt, one of the biggest clubs in the world. Historically, they are easily, if not the biggest club in the world, the second biggest club in the world. When you go to a game in Manchester, it feels like a small town high school football game. It, you know, the people, the bar that I went to, it was 
the local women were, were working the bar. Every along the streets walking Old Trafford, it was every food truck were just were just women as if they were like, oh, our husbands are out at the match and we're just doing our part. It just seemed like the whole town came out to either go to this match or to work in Manchester to make sure that everybody is taken care of with food, with alcohol, with where to go, with their tickets and everything. It just had this incredible small town feel, which is insane considering the magnitude and the size of this club. I'll have a lot more to say about this uh, later in the week, but there you go. Tremendous experience. Uh, I wish everybody can make it over to England and get to not just Old Trafford, but uh, your home team stadium.